You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Welcome to Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football, sponsored by Charts Apparel. I am your host, Tim Capper, uh, along with Cliffy. I have a cold, so please feed me soup pine. <laughs> Welcome, sir. And a special guest with us this week, since we are going to be talking more or less Grey Cup. It's something we have some Alouette stuff to talk about, but more or less Grey Cup. Uh, if you haven't listened to this podcast yet, you have to get caught up. Because this, uh, this gentleman is the current host uh, for the new, oh, wow, uh, Atlantic Zone coverage podcast. Uh, everything about what's coming up with the new Atlantic schooners. Uh, so give him a listen. Uh, Gregory James. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Thanks, guys. Happy to be on. I don't get a cool nickname. or um, you got to earn your stripes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working okay. on it. Gregory Fish and Chips James. <laughs> That's all, that's all I think I can think of. Yeah, I can get it. Hey, I, I didn't call you Pepsi. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> just my job, man. It's just my job. Yeah. Um, real quickly, uh, Cliff, because we'll talk about this about the with the Alouette stuff. Um, it was announced uh, today, Cliff, that uh, eight players have been signed for, to new contracts for the Alouettes. And I wanted to know your feedback on this. Uh, it was linebackers uh, Glenn Love. Kevin Haynes and Paris Taylor. And then the organization also agreed to details with receivers Dante Absner, Ike Lewis, as well as defensive backs Jamal Marshall and Larry Hope Jr., and as well as defensive end Dante Holmes. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've been following the, the, you know, the team this year, you know who Glenn Love is. Um, what, about, what about the other players? Any of them stand out to you, Cliff? Anything, what else, anything else you know about them? Uh, well, Kevin Haynes did get some very limited reps uh, and I think was on the practice squad at some point uh, this past season. So he's seen very limited action on the Alouettes. But uh, obviously the key piece uh, to talk about here is definitely Glenn Love, who is, of course, a former Grey Cup champion and has been a very nice addition to the Alouettes this season. Uh, he stepped into the uh, the linebacker position, uh, done very well for himself, uh, definitely made some plays happen. Uh Again, this obviously wasn't the best his best season, but I think you can say that about pretty much well almost everybody on the Alouettes. <laughs> but uh, definitely securing Glenn Love for the next year definitely is a a good boost because this linebacking core, I think, besides Hinoch Mwamba uh, and 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 Brandon Dozier, I I'm just not sure what the future is going to hold for a lot of these other players. So I'm a chance we get to solidify a. Top-notch talent. I'm all for that. And I think Glenn's been a, a fantastic addition to the Alouettes. Uh, he definitely enjoys being in Montreal as well. So that's also a good bonus as well. So I'm I'm pretty excited to see that uh, Glenn Love's going to be back. And as far as the rest goes, uh, obviously these are going to be some depth moves more than anything else. Uh, we won't know too much about these guys until training camp starts. But uh, yeah, but, yeah, with no mini camp this year. Yep, that's, uh, that's going to be huge is that... Uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of opportunity to evaluate talent. So 
uh, we're going to have to really, really, really hope that the scouting staff that's in place right now has been doing their homework, has been paying attention, not just to the film, but just to all sorts of things when it comes to these particular players. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what, uh, what happens. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it seems so far away now. Next, next opportunity to really get a chance to see some of these players won't be until late May of 2019. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the big things that came across the wire, and Greg, you'll be able to chime in on this one too, especially if, if you had heard about it or read about it. Um, there, there was a very interesting interview with uh, with Andrew Wetnall with the Canadian Press that was picked up. Uh, I think it was by La Press and picked up by uh, quite a few news outlets. And wow, um, not a very I don't say a glowing uh, review of our g- current GM. Um, Cliff, uh, for those of the, those who fans who didn't uh, read it, can you give the 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 Cliff notes, no pun intended, version of the story? <laughs> A pun very much intended, I suppose. Or? No, no, not intended at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the long and short of it is, uh, uh, Fred Digg from La Presse had a chance to sit down with uh, Andrew Wettenhall and uh, to say that uh, things were. Uh, very kind, uh, definitely uh, would be putting it mild. Uh, well, that'd be quite the stretch, to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly, he's, uh, it seems like Andrew Wettenhall is surprised that things have gone as south as what they have for the Alouettes, which to me makes me wonder just where he, where he's been the past two years. Cause it, he almost seems in shock of the, like he, he's the one who put this current administration in place and he's surprised at the results. I mean, Again, I've been very critical of the direction that Andrew Wettenhall has taken this football team. But for him to say things like he doesn't understand why the Alouettes aren't winning, and he's the one who installed a head uh, general manager who had no experience at the general manager level, who in turn hired a coach who had no CFL experience, yeah. and you're wondering why you've only gotten eight wins in the past two seasons? Like Andrew Wettenhall is not a stupid man. But when you make statements like this, and especially, too, in the past, he's made statements about how he feels this team has vastly improved, and this is a playoff cont- playoff-worthy playoff team, and the results on the field have not shown anything to that effect. Uh, I'm, I am I have to agree. I, I'm, I'm just speechless with, with, with that thought process. Like Nobody can be that tone-deaf, can they? But lo and behold, here we are. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's I don't want to say troubling, but... Yeah, I guess it's very troubling to to imagine that this is where ownership sits right now is just in complete disbelief that things are the way they are. Meanwhile, they're the ones who basically set the table for this. I mean, if you wanted winning football, would it not make sense to hire experienced people at this level? Or did you like, again, this is where I would almost love to have a sit down with Andrew Wettenhall to really, truly understand the thought process as to why these people were hired. And do you really truly believe that things are as bad as what they are because of them? And do you not see the disconnect? Like this is, this is what I'm, 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 I'm just baffled by when I saw that, when I saw the interview, I was just completely baffled as to how, 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 how you came to this conclusion. Greg, when you when you saw that, and uh, especially out, you know out out east, I know you've been you follow the Alouettes, you've been following the Alouettes for a while. But when you hear, I guess, any owner come out like this, especially about you know a guy that you put into place, 
what 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 were your thoughts on if you'd read the story and and what uh, what were your thoughts on on what was said? Like, well, to be honest, like I haven't heard any. This is the first time I'm actually hearing about it. But um, it just for any ownership to come out and say that they're surprised by any of these moves, um, it, it's I don't know. It just doesn't sit right um, because they should be involved in all of these decisions. Um, you know, I, I've just been a recent um, CFL fan. This is my first full season. Right. And, I mean, there's there's exciting coaching prospects here in the CFL. Um, and to bring a guy in last season, now I don't know who was available last season, but if, there are any, uh, uh, if there's anyone who is on the same level as Clay Brooks, um, defensive coordinator for the Stamps, uh, you would think that that would be a prime guy to uh, to grab instead of a coach who um, you know hasn't coached my, like major football in a long time, and he already had a, a, a another coaching gig before the season even started with the Alouette. So uh, I don't yeah I don't know if it was Cavus's decision alone, but I'm sure he must have had to run it by um, the higher ups. Um, and I don't know if Wenton Hall was thinking more importantly with bums and seats in Montreal uh, to trade away those uh, future prospects for Manziel as well. Like, I, I don't know. It just blows my mind that this, that he's coming out now after giving them, I thought he gave him a vote of confidence at the end of the season for, for next season. Yeah. Um, so for him to change his tune within a month, it's, I don't know what's kind of going on behind closed doors there, but it's soft putting in a way. It doesn't seem, there doesn't seem to be much backtracking. So I guess he's, he's standing by I mean, considering that he, it was a, uh, it was a an interview with Canadian, you know, the Canadian press. Um, I, by the way, I, I we're talking about it now. Anyways, I, I sent it. I sent you the the tweet, uh, Greg. So you'll be able to, okay. yeah, you'll be able to look at it in your in your leisure. So uh, there is a there's an English uh, translation that's there. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. And the comment though, Cliff, on 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 what he said specifically for Cavis. You know, uh, under surveillance. That's 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 bizarre. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, that's a fair a fair way to put it. It's definitely bizarre. Uh, I I couldn't think of a better expression to use because, yeah, after you said uh, like throughout the season, he's feel it feels like Andrew Wettenhall's been given the vote of confidence to Cavis. Seems at least on board with the decisions that are being made. So. Yeah, to do an about face like this, like, did you just realize now that uh, eight and twenty-eight over the past two seasons isn't uh, exactly the success for winning? Isn't exactly a winning formula? Yeah, that, that's what this is. What I, this is what I'm having a hard time trying to understand mm-hmm. is that you you didn't all of a sudden clue in that this isn't going to work. Like, my thought would have been is that if you're going to say this type of thing, just uh, is Cavus going to make it to the draft? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, he may have given him a vote of confidence, but is, is Cavus going to make it to the draft? Are they going to find somebody? Yeah, thing I mean, is, are we going to go through this whole thing again? But maybe it, it with the launch of the new Alouettes in February, maybe? if Now would be the time if they did, you know. In theory, you're right, but then... Who do you call it? Who do you who do you have up your sleeve? Like it really felt like when Cavus was first hired, it really felt like there was nobody else to do the job, which was not true. There was plenty of other candidates, but I got the impression just based on the people I've spoken with is they had a certain direction, they had a certain mindset they wanted to go with, and 
Cavus was in line, in step with that, whereas other people that were interviewed would not be. And I guess in turn, that sort of affected the coaching hire as well, because I think a lot of people were wondering, well, who really wants to work with Cavus Reed? And yeah. and again, this sort of may have led to why Mike Sherman was hired was because maybe Mike Sherman just didn't know better. He, like, he just wanted a job to be a head coach and didn't know what was going on behind the scenes here. Whereas, like I said, they, some of the people that were interviewed last year, like Devon Claybrooks, Mark Washington, and a couple others, like they kind of have a good idea of what's going on in the Canadian Football League. And in a way, they kind of know what's happening with Montreal. And is that somebody they really want to work for? And that's probably why you saw a lot of these names kind of withdraw their their name from the application process. So, again, like all of this sort of ties together. And it's, it's definitely a, a concern to see comments like that because – if you're if the ownership doesn't have your back, doesn't have that gives doesn't really feel confident in you, even if they're saying so in public. I mean, we've seen this with the Montreal Canadiens too, where a coach will have uh, the support, so to speak, of the general manager or ownership, and then all of a sudden, boom, changes are made again. Yeah. So, I mean, this is nothing new in Montreal, but it's still it doesn't make it any less easier to swallow to 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 try and understand what's going on with this. So, I mean, if this organization is going to make a change at the, at that level again, I mean, you got to make sure you have the right person in place because you may have thought you had it the first time around, but if you don't believe that all of a sudden, then, I mean, this, this is definitely not, this is definitely not good news. What, if we were to give a percentage guys, uh, on Cavis making it to the draft, what, uh, or making, yeah, I'd say, I'm, I'll start to say making it to the draft because that, that's a big part of, you know, for the nucleus of the Alouettes for not only in 2019, but going forward. Um, what, what were the, what would be the odds, Cliff? What, what would you give the odds of, of Cavis returning? I mean, before this all started, I mean, I'd say 100% simply because it really felt like he did have the, uh, the green light, so to speak, the, uh, that, that, the vote of approval yeah. from ownership, but now in relate in lights of these comments, uh, gosh, it's it's really hard to say. Uh, I mean, it, I, okay, I, let's I, make it better than fifty fifty, or, or worse than fifty. Let's just make it let's just make it simple. Better than fifty fifty, or worse than fifty fifty. Can I say at fifty fifty? Sure, <laughs> yeah. Because that's just going by this now. I'd say you're now looking at fifty fifty, like even like. He could very well be, or he could very well not be. And there's just nothing that, at this point now, indicates one way or another. I mean, you're not going to fire someone unless you've got a, a really good backup plan. You can't just, you know, mm. kick Cavus to the curve and then decide, okay, now what should we do? Like, yeah. you, if, if you're going to make this move, you better have one hell of a contingency plan in place and be ready to implement it immediately. I'm talking, like, right now kind of thing. Yeah. And, th- and, and there that, are some that, worthy guys out there who, who have been. Oh, by the way, what, what Greg, what would you say? Are you do you agree if Cliff in the fifty fifty or would you say worse than fifty fifty or better than fifty fifty of Clavis making it to the draft? I uh, I actually do think it's going to be better than fifty fifty. Um, I think that if you bring in a new general manager, do you think he's going to want to replace Sherman at the same time? And then if that's the case, you're going to have three different systems in three different years with the Alouettes. Um, I don't know if if he hopes to make the playoffs next year with a new system. Uh, I mean, these guys are professional athletes. They should be able to pick up a system um, within an allotted time, depending on how uh, intricate it is. But uh, if if it's just the general manager that gets changes that, that uh, and they leave Sherman, 
it might be a little bit more closer to 50-50, but I, I don't know if, if they would allow everyone to go. And if they did it, why would they uh, now they're gonna kind of they're coming in late. Okay. Right, I see. Yeah, I see what you mean. And, but All for me, the placements are gonna be gone. Yeah, and my my thought is, think about it. I mean, Cliff Cliff does bring up a good point with fifty fifty. You you bring up a very good point of better than fifty fifty. I, I I'm on the fence. I'm kind of on that fifty fifty chance myself. But I'm I'm wondering if it's more of a forty. I'm 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 wondering if I'm tipping the other way at forty nine fifty one. Because there are guys out there who know the CFL quite well. I mean, there is, I'm sure there are OCs out there who know who've been around for quite a while that would love to jump at the chance of at, at being a, a new GM. But and to your point, Greg, even if you do fire a head coach, remember most of the of the system right now is Kahari Jones. So I understand maybe the new co- head coach might want to bring somebody in. Uh, you know, maybe. Could, could I dare say Paul uh, Paul Lapolis as GM? I mean, he we know he has his pedigree in the CFL is amazing. Yeah, and it mm-hmm. would be a bump up from being the OC to be a GM. And would you also change Rich Stubler at defense coordinator as well? I don't know because that's that's the big key is if whoever you hire as general manager, you got to be able to let them t- hire their own people. That was a big problem. It turned out afterwards was once Kevin uh, Sprius hired his GM, it looked like everything was in place for Jacques Chapdelaine to yeah. remain on as head coach, and that was something that the Wettenhall family wanted was to have Chapdelaine as head coach. But Reed didn't. We we only found out later on wasn't necessarily on board with that, and that's what led to the kind of power struggle where when things kind of went south with Chapdelaine and the offense, and then you saw Reed eventually take over as head coach because he wasn't happy with that, and he also didn't feel that Noel Thorpe had what we considered to be an elite defense, quote-unquote. Right. And you saw what Laurel Thorpe did this year with the Red Blacks. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a major misstep right there. Again, not trying to put anyone down, but you don't just throw – like no matter how difficult Noel Thorpe might be to work with, you know the guy produces results. So you've got to find a way to make that work in your system if that's what you've got in place. So if you're going to hire somebody as a general manager, you got to let them hire their coaching staff. Like That was the key is that, okay – Fine, you were stuck with Jim Pop's people when you came in, Cavis Reed. Now you've got your own people to hire. And who did you end up hiring? A guy with no CFL experience. Like, yes, a, a former NFL head coach, I agree, but still someone that would have to learn the Canadian game. And I am hoping now that the offseason has happened and he's gotten his first 18 games under his belt, I'm hoping that he is still very much dedicating himself to learning the Canadian game 100% because that learning curve – is over now and like now you've got to be able to step in and succeed right away yeah so yeah. this is going to be key now if you're going to completely flush all of that again you better make sure that whoever you hire has everything in place right away to go ahead and get results now because again alouettes fans have been putting up with losing now for the past four seasons and asking them to go and sit through another losing season n- very few, if any, are going to just take that with a smile on their face. Uh, yeah, Owls have to contend. Owls have to contend in 2019. To me, that that's that that that's a no-brainer. Um, what's your what what? Uh, I thought I was, I was very surprised too about how they were saying that the Alouettes have gotten away from the community. You know, the community when the Alouettes first came here in '96, you know, they tried what they could, but the ownership wasn't right and it wasn't done properly. But then you have uh, you know the Alouettes uh, adopt a player or adopt an Alouette. Uh, you have a lot of the other different things that they do in the community. I'm trying to see where they think that they are lacking in the community cliff. It's 
I see what they're trying to do. I mean, is it just a matter of the players? Is it just a matter of, you know, the, the community made the Alouettes, and I guess the, the, the I guess their feeling is is that we need to bring the community back into it. But I, I, I didn't know that they were even thinking that type of thing. Well, yeah, they're definitely involved in a lot of the programs uh, in the offseason. But, I mean, I still feel, uh, and maybe this is just myself too, like there's still a, a bit of a disconnect in the sense that when you look at players in other communities, in other CFL cities, like they truly are interwoven into the fabric of the community. Whereas Edmonton, Montreal, Saskatchewan, yeah. Exactly. Whereas here in Montreal, like, again, this is a hockey mad city. So, of course, people are more crazy about the Canadians than they are the Alouettes or the impact, if you will. So, yes, there are programs involved where the players will show up and become a part of it. And that's great. And they do a fantastic job with that. But I think this is what the Wettenhall family is worried about is that you don't hear the, the players mentioned in the same breath as guys like, I don't know, Carey Price or... Uh, or Carey Price, because even now with the Canadians, like there's, <laughs> there's, there's still no superstars, so to speak. And even then, I don't see them as involved in the community other than certain events as well. But I, I think that's what the the Wettenhall family is trying to look for, is players that will become a real part of the community. And you mention them in the same breath as these famous players of any of the sports here in Montreal. So I think that's what... Uh, again, I'm just going by what we've seen of those comments. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this is what he's talking about when it comes to not connecting with the community, is that you want people to be excited to go to Montreal and you want them to identify with players. And right now, the only players that they seem to identify with would be Johnny Manziel, because that's a household name. Uh, but Johnny Manziel, I wouldn't consider him a part of the Montreal community, because no. one, he doesn't live here, and two, he's... Uh, again, he he's still not quite what I consider to be a part of the Alouettes in the sense that he can relate to people here in Montreal, and right. he's uh, he, you know he didn't grow up in this community, and he didn't he's not striving to make himself a part of this community. We also so, lost a huge member of the of the off season community when uh, Terrell Sutton was traded. Exactly, like like that was a guy. Like if you were looking to find someone that was a part of the Alouettes community, and again. Uh, Something so a, a name that people can sort of identify with and relate to that would be him, yeah. and yeah, once once the Alouettes traded him, that was a huge part of that community feeling that uh, I think Andrew Wettenhall is talking about. That disappeared when you traded him. You so have another, you have another guy leaving here this off season with John Bowman as well. I'm now I don't live in Montreal, but I'm assuming he was pretty involved over the years uh, in that community. You're right, and he too, like like he's. Like to me, he's a superstar. Like if he's to, here, though, one thing Al- the, the plus two though is guys is that with, with the alumni, we have an abundance of alumni in the city, which is a, which is a huge positive. But to both your points too, I agree because you need to have current players, French and French and English, and that's what the team's been good at doing is is bringing both the the you know, ones from the states or whether they be Canadians from out east uh, from out west. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, well, you know what? It'll be interesting to see. And this is a good gauge here, Cliff. Who is going to be which? How the Alouettes are going to be represented, player-wise, when it comes to the to the locker room, the open locker room this Sunday. That will be yeah. in, that will be interesting. Yeah, and we'll we'll definitely talk about that throughout the show as well. But uh, I'll I'll be really interested as well because again, this that was definitely one event too where you knew you almost predict set your watch to which players are going to be at this event. Whereas this year. Uh, 
Yeah, I, 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 I'm really curious to see who's going to show up and yeah. who's going to be a part of that. Yeah, last year, Kai Bear, not here anymore. Um, Sutton, not B- here anymore. Um. <laughs> B- BJ Cunningham, who still technically is an Alouette, but is a pending free agent. And even though he's staying in Montreal, uh, will he be there? I, I don't know. Would be I, nice. I mean, would be nice. So, um, when it, when you think of community, Greg, especially with the, 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 the possibility of... Uh, what the schooners can do and that and you're got such a huge quote-unquote community considering it's atlantic schooners yeah what do you do you think that uh, when the new team uh comes to be how much of a how hard of a task is that going to be for for one franchise to get into so many different provinces and different cities i, I don't think it's going to be that that bad uh, on the east coast just because of um we're actually we're relatively close to each other like we're not a big province like saskatchewan uh, or provinces like we're, we are we're a little bit more scattered but um like it's about four hour drive to st john um whereas i don't know exactly what the distance is between saskatoon and and regina but isn't that still a couple of hours um and and we have a nice core here in halifax um, like about four hundred fifty thousand people, Halifax, two hundred twenty in Moncton. Plus, you got the uh, the people who live outside of Halifax, hour away. Um, I think this community is we're, we're East Coasters, you know. Like this is it's just pretty much what you know is is kitchen parties and stuff. You you, you someone coming in, you just invite them in and and almost like you know them. Like there's no, I don't know if I'm even answering your question right. Uh, no, no, you, I think you are. Yeah. I mean. I mean, uh, hell, I, hell, even even former Alouette Terry Baker's over in Lunenburg. So, <laughs> Dustin Pilardi, man, he's, yeah, he's here. He can be our first kicker. Yeah, uh, but uh, but my yeah. thought, but, but my thought is, is that I, I think it's going to be a huge undertaking because yes, you got the Halifax, the Alpha Nova Scotia. You're going to have to go to PEI. That's three hours away. Yeah, I said yeah. you got to go to Moncton. You'll have to. You, you, somehow you have to include Newfoundland. I mean, oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's so it's. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. To see how they are able to, if they're able to do what the Blue Jays are doing, as an example, with their winter uh, caravan, because I think aren't they coming out east? They're coming out yeah, they east, were, and then they're they doing were, in Toronto. Week, so. uh, Marcus Stroman tweeted out about uh, being at the lower deck, listening. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like listening to Signal Hill, having a great time out here. So I mean, that's a major league baseball player right there, loving loving Nova Scotia. And it's funny because. At the Great Cup, they were interviewing some Ottawa Red Blacks players about uh, where Halifax was. A lot of them don't never even heard of Halifax. Don't know where it is. They just think it's cold. Oh, and come uh, on. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we just need to educate them. One of the guys played, I think, at Acadia. I can't rem- I can't recall exactly what university, but he knows uh, exactly what Halifax yeah. or Nova Scotia yeah. is all about. Maritimes. So he knows donairs are good over here and. Uh, he wasn't. I'm sure the players who have been here, like Enoch, they they are more than well, more than willing to let them know yeah. exactly what uh, what players are in store for when they get. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not like we're talking um, Yellow Knife or White Horse. <laughs> oh, exactly. You know, so it's just people it, don't really think of us over here sometimes. Like I went to, obviously, we were in um, Buffalo. We went to Buffalo Bills game. No one knows where Nova Scotia is over there. So I would say, you know, where Maine is. Yeah, we're we're more east than Maine. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the best I can do. Like, yeah. So, um, uh, one one last thing that uh, within the story itself, guys, is that uh, uh, Andrew said specifically that um, 
with the addition, the addition of a 10th team would help the Alouettes, uh, not just the Alouettes, but also the league too, because you're talking about maybe more sponsors because you're going, co- you're actually going coast to coast. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, he basically said it's uh, a successful, healthy 10th team would uh, help support the league, attract new sponsorships, generate better television deal and, and increase the league's base of supporters. So it's all, cool. you know, it's it. It's, it's, and I know we're going to talk about this in the second segment uh, with you, Greg, about Grey Cup and uh, the, uh, the Touchdown Atlantic party, et cetera. So it's, um, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see, but there's so, oh, man, this off season, <sighs> this off season is going to be weird. I tell you, um, you, wanted to before we take the uh, our quick break um do you greg want to mention what you heard on one of our brethren uh, our cf pod brethren do you want to bring it up now or do you want to bring it up after the break uh can you refresh my memory uh, about what piffles mentioned oh about manzel yeah you know, oh, ask it now ask uh, go, go ahead and ask it now and mention uh, mention what you said now and then we'll take the break Okay, um, so they were essentially saying how chris jones really likes uh johnny manzel and obviously the two of their quarterbacks are free agents, so they were kind of speculating that um, Manziel could be traded to Saskatchewan, and especially considering Vernon Adams Jr. and Antonio Pipkin and, and Chris Schultz. Was it Chris or Matt? I can't recall. Matt Schultz. Matt Schultz. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, I mean, they're all under contract, so you got way too many quarterbacks. So they were just kind of speculating that uh, a, a trade could uh, could benefit um along the way there so that's just what i heard i don't know cliff what, what have you heard I, I don't i mean yes we you know mansell's gonna be making i think his base salary next year is gonna be about a two about two hundred ten thousand dollars with his uh from what we've heard and with you know incentives he can make upwards i think around 350 or something like that but uh what, what do you what do you think i mean the guys guys over at pipples they're they got their ear pretty pretty well you know pretty well into the uh into the CFL, what what do you think about what they've said? Any merit to it, do you think, or or is it just blather? I think it's just blather. Honestly, I mean, I think it's just more kind of maybe pie in the sky hoping. I mean, yeah, like the thing with Johnny Manziel is, yes, he definitely draws a crowd. He definitely draws interest. And uh, one has to wonder if uh, he's a, very much a system quarterback in the sense that if you put him in the right system, yes, he can flourish. And is Montreal system necessarily the right one for him i don't think so i i i again we've we haven't seen a whole lot of success from johnny manzel at the quarterback position yes he did win his last two games but i mean at this point can you really count them when all when all is said and done uh now chris jones this isn't the first time he's tried to acquire one of montreal's quarterbacks because he's liked what he's seen against them uh you go you go back three years when Vernon Adams was uh, was starting for the Alouettes and him beating the uh, the Rough Riders in Regina. Uh, Chris Jones was very impressed with what he saw out of Vernon Adams and was able to work out a trade to get Vernon Adams to Saskatchewan and essentially did nothing with him. So uh, does he think he can do something with Manziel? Possibly. Uh, I mean, he's got to be looking at his own quarterback situation. As you said, uh, we've got pending free agents in Zach Caleros and Brandon Bridge. Uh if there was a chance to kind of start to wipe the slate clean and start over again, this would be the time to do it. And to bring in a guy with an impact name like Johnny Manziel definitely would get people talking. Uh, okay, let me ask you this. Well, so we know what we gave up for Vernon Adams. Yeah. Would Chris Jones be willing to give up the same? It would be a huge plus for the Alouettes, but would the Alouettes be willing to give? Uh, sorry, would the would the would Saskatchewan be willing to give up a first rounder 
for Johnny Menzel for this this year's draft? Hell no. I don't think I think if they if they're gonna get Mansell, they're gonna try and get him as cheaply as possible. Uh Cavis Reed paid a king's ransom for that and for his services and is not going to be able to recuperate that from Saskatchewan or quite frankly from any team. I, I just don't see that happening. I think they the I think the other CFL GMs know that they would have Reed over a barrel when it comes to trying to negotiate for Johnny Mansell. They're not gonna overpay for him like what Reed did. And that's going to be a major disadvantage as far as negotiations go. So that's why I just don't see this truly happening because I know Reed would want to try to recuperate and try and get as much as he can from Manziel. Key is though, are these other GMs willing to play ball and, or do they just think that he's a chump and will just be happy to be rid of the headache and will take you know anything just yeah. to get rid of Johnny Manziel. And maybe he would, I don't know. I, I, but again, if he does, if he does just get rid of Manziel for a song, then things just look even worse for the Alouettes. Like it just really yeah. does highlight the incompetence oh, yeah, yeah, that a lot of people seem to perceive that they have out of Cavis Street. And Reed. that might be the last straw. Maybe that goes to the whole thing with with what Andrew was talking about before. Because could a trade like this save Cavis Street, so to speak? You got to admit, if we can get a first round draft pick, even it would be a low third, a first round draft pick. But you know, it's what what are the Owls willing to get? What what would they be willing to give up? So because because don't forget, even if you were to get a first round draft pick back you're essentially giving your next two over the next two years to hamilton as a result of this trade so there's no way you're going to balance that out there's no like i said no no general manager in the canadian football league is going to compliment you in that sense no no one's going to give you those two first round picks that you gave up essentially in addition to the manpower that you gave up for this for this move as well like that's the thing like cavis really showed his ass when it came to this trade and don't think the other eight GF, uh, CFL GMs realize that. Like it, they're thinking, okay, oh, you want to get rid of Johnny Mansell? No problem. I'll take him off your hands, and I can probably do something with him. I'm not going to give you what you nearly gave up just to get this guy, though. Yeah. Like that's the thing. That's that's the one thing you're going to have to realize. And I'm pretty sure Cavis realizes that as well. So he may listen to offers, but unless these guys are willing to pony up, and I don't think they are, I just don't see that trade happening. Yeah. Um, what, what do you What do you think about this then? Let me throw this up there. Cavis Reed gets replaced. What's the asking price for the new GM? Same thing. I think he he's going to want to re because again he's going to have to work with the mistakes that uh, perceived mistakes that Cavis Reed made. So he's going to have that GM is going to have to recover very quickly as well. So he's going to need assets to work with. So again, unless someone's willing to give up a boatload of talent to get Manzel, and again we've seen what Manzel did, did this year, and it was middling at best to be honest with you. I just don't see that happening, and I don't. I don't. I think the the one thing you'd have to do at that point is just swallow your pride, know that you've got Manzel for 2019 at the very least, yeah, and do everything you can to surround yourself with as much talent as possible. Which again, a lot of people think that at least 75 percent of the Canadian Football League essentially has become a free agent this year. This is your chance to really restock and really put. If you're if you really think Manzel is going to be the guy then you've got to build around him. And now you're going to have to build fast because that's going to be the key is get this guy as much protection as possible as far as the offensive line goes. Give him the weapons you need at receiver. Uh, make sure, again, William Stanback's going to be staying put for sure. So and Manziel knows what he's got with him. But you got to make sure you have as much artillery as possible at the offensive position. And I, again, I, I think that's going to be more the key going into 2019 versus trying to trade Manziel because no matter what scenario you can come up with, you're going to end up losing when it comes to trading, trading Manziel. Yes, you do have great quarterbacks, 
potentially in the lineup signed with Adams, Pipkin, and Schiltz. And if you if those are your guys you're going to roll with, I, I think Montreal would do fine with that. But now you've got this Manziel situation, and I just don't see you getting back nearly as much as what you gave up. That's going to be, as far as I'm concerned, the sticking point when it comes to any negotiations regarding him. Yeah, also maybe a very moot point because early in the year there was this rumor, you know, rumor and innuendo that uh, they were looking to to extend Johnny Football's contract. So will it maybe by by the time the the draft comes around, it may be just a total moot point. It may be a completely moot point. As as we're saying with the Owls signing some players, and they've already signed so many quarterbacks. They're saying, well, maybe you know, even if even if they're when it comes to the uh, the new CBA, but who knows? Who the hell knows? Well. And the reason I thought they signed all these quarterbacks was just because maybe they, in their hearts, knew that Manziel was not going to maybe make it even to 2019. Like maybe he decided he's had enough. It wasn't worth it for him to be a part of the Canadian Football League. And in case he decides to f off, then <laughs> at least you've got at least you've got a good, decent young core to start with. Like, like I said, they won't be super successful to start, but you've got talent there to build upon. Like you got guys like. Like I said, Vernon Adams, you can definitely slot him in as a starter, no problem, and he's going to do fine. Antonio Pipkin has proven that he can play in this league, and he, with a little bit more seasoning, a little bit more experience, can flourish as well. Matthew Schultz, another potential diamond in the rough, but again, he needs the playing time. He needs the reps, and as long as Johnny Manziel is there, he's not going to get them, at least not any sort of worthwhile reps to to really to help grow as a quarterback. So yeah. to me, that's that's this is what it comes down to. I mean... Again, I, I remember hearing that too about there's a possible extension for Manziel, but I just don't see that happening. Especially if you're going to be signing these guys, like you're, you've only got so much uh, wiggle room to play with as far as the quarterback position goes. So I really think that I, I just don't see Manziel going beyond 2019 as far as being a member of the Alouettes. So only time's going to tell. But just from everything that I'm seeing so far, I just I, I really think the Alouettes have sort of lined themselves up with the knowledge that. Beyond 2019, Johnny Manziel will not be a member of this team. Yeah, and then, you know, well, well, well let's see what happens. We'll see what happens. Hey, but, uh, before we get to the second half of the show, we talk about the Great Cup. I uh, just want to give a shout-out to our presenting sponsor, Tarps Apparel Company. Uh, Tarps Apparel Company is a Canadian-made, Canadian-manufactured clothing company highlighting legendary athletes and their stories on vintage tees. Uh, but guys, you know what? These just aren't your regular T-shirts at Tarps. They recognize what quality means, which is why they only use high-end bamboo materials for their tees to create a thin, soft feel that is unmatched in sports clothing. And Cliff and I, you and I can attest to this, how soft I put this shirt on, dude. I was like, this is bamboo. I couldn't believe I, that. <laughs> I know, right? Like, like, It's unbelievable just how soft and breathable and cut to fit. I mean, like, this is... Yeah. This is a nice T-shirt yeah, and I, just and feels not, good. Yeah, I'm not a. I mean, I'm not a super fan of V-neck shirts, but I love these. I mean, so if you want to get one of many CFL legends, uh, Angela Mosca, Chris Wallaby, George Reed, the Peter Della Riva, Gizmo Williams, Earl Winfield, Tony Gabriel, Paulus Baldiston, Louis Pasig- Pasaglia, you have mm-hmm. your chance. You have your chance to buy a shirt, and when you're buying a shirt. A percentage of all the proceed benefits, the, the uh, CFLAA, that's the Alumni Association, and its legends. So if you are looking for one of these shirts, head over to their website over at tarpsapparel.com. And when you do, if you do order a shirt, let them know that the guys over at the Alouette's Flight Deck sent you. And hey, finally, you're going to have the uh, Alouette's podcast co-hosts 
together in their Peter De La Riva shirts. We're we're gonna make we're gonna do a we're gonna do a, a photo a photo shoot at the uh, <laughs> at the locker room this weekend. So. <laughs> Yep, a, a very impromptu photo shoot, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be there. We're gonna be rocking the gear, and if uh, if you're going to this uh, uh, this locker room sale, obviously there's gonna be a tons of great swag that's gonna be sold at discount prices. But if you've got any questions or concerns about the Peter Dallariva shirts, and if you're curious, you just want to know a little bit more information, by all means, hit us up. We'll be there at the uh, at the locker room sale. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about pretty much anything Alouette. So uh, yeah. Uh, hope to see uh, hope to see a lot of people there. Should be fun. Um, all right, Grey Cup. Um, Cliff basically fooled us all and stating stating that he was going to be taking a flight and going somewhere, but he wasn't going to Edmonton. <laughs> oh, the last second thing. What'd you do? Buy your tickets to Tampa Bay off StubHub? Uh, no, actually, I didn't. <laughs> oh, you scalpers! No, uh, again, it was sort of a last minute decision to go to Tampa instead. Uh, again, I just circumstances beyond my control and i was given a great opportunity to go to tampa to see the san francisco 49ers play so uh, again I'm, i apologize to the cfl family for not being at great cup i know it's kind of a I, I won't say a faux pas but i think a lot of people were disappointed that i wasn't there so again my heart was there with you guys but i mean i just i just needed some sunshine you know and <laughs> a chance to see the 49ers play down south in florida i mean it was just uh, and again, at half the price of going to Grey Cup, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I was weak this year. I had to go see them, but I promise next year I will be there. And not just in trading card format, but I will be there in Calgary. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, well, Greg, you did go to Grey Cup, and that's why we wanted you on this week. Uh, not only to talk about your, your podcast and whatnot, uh, but to hear about uh, what you thought. So let's first, guys, let's talk about the – the game itself, uh, Calgary finally was able to break their streak. Um, you know, if they had lost this game, they would have been the first team to lose three straight Grey Cups in a row since the Montreal Alouettes, I think it was back in the 50s. Um, but they won 27-16. Um, first of all, guys, what was what were your thoughts about the game? Because they were, you know, besides the game itself, uh, there were many other variables which people have been talking about, and I'm sure which we'll talk about leading up to not only next season, but also to see what Calgary does to try to reverse what happened this past year uh, in Edmonton. So, uh, uh, Cliff, what, what were your, your thoughts on your quick thoughts on the game? Well, this was a game that Calgary absolutely had to win, and they did. They they needed to respond because you're right. The past two Grey Cup games that they're in, they played very well but couldn't close the door uh, I, I i i hesitate to use the word choke when it comes to both games because ottawa let's not forget in 2016 they led for the most part of that game and calgary had to actually fight back just to get to overtime and then lose in overtime whereas last year against toronto they they had the game pretty well in hand and they let it slip away literally <laughs> yeah. they they fumbled the, they literally fumbled the game away against the argonauts so going into this match, they had the pressure was unbelievable because again they were going to be playing Ottawa, who they lost to two years ago, and again the the West has been so dominant throughout the regular season in the CFL to to have your your representative from the West come in and essentially lose once again to the so called lowly Eastern Division. Uh, I mean it was definitely insurmountable, but Bo Levi Mitchell had to have the game of his life, and I. I won't say this necessarily was the game of his life, but he played a very good game and he did what he needed to do to win. And that was huge. 
I, I think having most of his receivers out throughout the year was a huge challenge that he had to undertake throughout the entire season. And he, he just finds ways to win. And that's, I, I'll take my cat off, cap off to him. The guy just your, your he knows cat, how to win. Your cat. Cap, uh, <laughs> cap, my, I know my, I might have a cold and things don't sound right, but, <laughs> but I take my cap uh, off to him. He, he did a fantastic job in leading this offense. And again, uh, now, now a lot of people are going to be wondering, he's a, he's a, one of these other pending free agents. And a lot of people are wondering, is he going to go try out the NFL next year? And, He's got a very short window. If he wants to become an NFL quarterback, he's got a very limited amount of time to do so, and this would be the time to do it. But I just don't know if he's going to be willing to make that jump to become a, a – he's a big fish in a small pond right now. Would he be willing to go and be a small fish in a huge pond when it comes to the National Football League? And he himself has said that the only way he would consider the NFL is if he has a legitimate chance to become a potential starting quarterback or backup and making a decent amount of money in the process of doing so. So to me, that's going to be the key is like, if this was Bo Levi Mitchell's last CFL game, then he went out as a winner, which is ideally how you want to do it. Uh, Whether or not he'd find success in the national football league, I I'm still skeptical of it. I know a lot of people have said that they think that he would be very successful, but I just think kind of like here in the CFL, like a system has to, you have to work within a, a certain system. And it's just a matter of finding that system in the NFL that's going to work for him. And I just don't know if there's one in, there's one in place right now for him. So that's going to be key more than anything else as far as his decision goes. But I mean, this game was definitely a, a good game for Calgary to do. Uh, Ottawa, I'm 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 really surprised. There was just a lot of plays that they didn't make, and that's really what sank them. Is the plays they weren't able to capitalize on, the ones they weren't able to make. That to me was the difference as to why the Stampeders were able to win this game. And Ottawa, they've been competitive. They've definitely shown they've got a lot of spunk. They got a lot of uh, they got a, a lot of good mojo. And I thought that's what was going to take take them very far into this game. And in the end, they just couldn't execute when they needed to. And that's. That that was the difference uh, yeah. between winning and losing. Like, it was just the ability to execute. Whereas Calgary was able to do so, Ottawa just wasn't. You can blame. Um, we'll probably talk about this. We've got lots of outside factors that may have affected the game itself yeah, yeah. as a whole. Yeah. But at the end of the day, winners find a way to win, and that's what Calgary did. They just found the way to win. Uh, by the way, quick comment about Bo Levi and what you're saying. Uh, a good fit for him. Uh, I just got uh, I just got a uh, I, I just got a couple words for you. First of all, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars and Scott Milanovic. Mm-hmm. That's all I got to say oh. about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually thinking Denver because right now their quarterbacking situation is a dog's breakfast, and yeah, they but, too yeah been... but with Scott Milanovic being now being uh, being elevated from quarterbacks coach to the OC in, oh, Jack- I... in Jacksonville, that's huge. That is huge. I, I agree, especially if he can somehow salvage the season for the Jaguars because they don't forget they were in the AFC championship game last year. Yeah. And this year they definitely won't be. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, so, Greg, uh, your, your thoughts. You were there. You were sitting uh, sitting in the stands watching the game. What was what was your thought on the game? It was not as exciting as I was hoping it would be. Um, and that's purely based off of what happened in the last great cup. Like, um each one had its own weather conditions, and I feel like this one was actually worse. Uh, it wasn't the, the snow globe game, but um, 
every like yeah it's i would have much rather uh the field conditions have been perfect so that way we could see the two best teams in the canadian football league really represent um what they what got them there you know um uh it's yeah it, too many like obviously i i, I want to chalk things up to mistakes uh and it, I don't know exactly how many of them were just caused by the field position. We had uh, Bo Levi threw two interceptions, three for um, Harris, a couple of fumbles here and there. Um, but I mean, the defenses did, you know, do their job. They, they, both teams had to play in the same conditions, and both teams' defenses were still able to to do really well. Uh, a lot of uh, the points for Calgary came off of uh, special teams. And I, that was the big difference. It was it was special teams that was the difference in this game. Um, you had that big one, uh, ninety-seven yard punt return by Terry Williams. Uh, I I chalked that one up to poor tackling. Uh, if someone would just you know wrap the legs and tackle, uh, he would have been done. But uh, people like to go in for those low hits, and then they just kind of bounce off. So, do you think the uh, the field conditions hindered the just being able to get that tackle on that return? Oh. Watching it back, I don't really think so. I, it's it's just how people tackle these days, you know. Like, um, I, I I watch I watch Enoch Mwamba when he's playing, and he doesn't he doesn't just go in and hit like he he goes in and wraps, and that's what they teach you in Pee Wee football. I I know guys like want to get on the highlight reel, but uh, you you got on the highlight reel, but not for the right reason. You you, you let a big play happen against you, so. Um, I, I was cheering for Ottawa. I'll say that right up front. I was going for Ottawa. Uh, I want uh, the East to do. Um, I want East to win, no matter who's playing out of the East. Uh, I, I don't like people talking about one division. So as long as the East wins, then people might shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like I said, it was it was not as exciting as I was hoping it would be. A lot of the times we would say we just want a good game. Yeah, and yeah, I just. My biggest regret was definitely the field, um, but I mean it was it was exciting to be that. This is my first Grey Cup, um, and it was just absolutely amazing to see the stadium with a capacity of sixty thousand people in Edmonton. Um, the the halftime show was amazing. People um, just getting so involved into everything. You got the Stampeders fans, the Red Blacks fans. Uh, you know, just pretty much talking through the whole game not so much the whole game but like they were conversing back and forth and um yeah it's just an absolutely amazing uh experience and uh yeah that's, that's really all i can say it was absolutely amazing the game was a little disappointing but it's, it's all about the experience you know and, yeah. and that's what made it great I, for me i think too uh, from what i saw it's it wasn't like last year and it's not because i was in ottawa last year for gray cup um but watching it on tv this year and even watching it on tv this year but I don't know. I think Calgary, Calgary seemed to want it to something about Ottawa, something about Ottawa and, and what they weren't able to do field conditions aside, because both teams had to play. Um, that's, that, that, that's what it was. That's what it was. So, I mean, it's, uh, I, yeah, I was disappointed, but it's something, it's something about Ottawa didn't sit right in how they just weren't able to, uh, weren't able to do what they needed to do. So uh, we might as well. Do you think they were, do you think they were just happy to be there? No, no, I don't think any. When you're going in a championship game, I mean, it's not like, you know, it, it makes me wonder if a team like Toronto or, or, or Ottawa the past prior two years, when you have a, a, a 500 record and an under 500 record and you're in the Grey Cup, okay, yes, 
you're happy to be there. But the thing is, you know, even though it's going back to something that you're, you're still champs. You're still champs of the East. You're still there in the Grey Cup. You still had to get there to still win the game to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. Calgary didn't overpower them. You know, the conditions were equal to both teams. Um, I, I, was waiting some for, I was waiting for somebody to bring out the staple gun. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. As I said, I think I think they, both teams are there, but you know both teams prepare. But it just seems that Calgary came to play, Ottawa came to play, but it's like they left something in the locker room. But that's just my mm-hmm. opinion. That's, that's fair. So uh, a lot of people, a lot of people like to point out that first drive with Ottawa when uh, Ellingson had that drop, and usually he always catches that ball. But um, yeah, I don't know if you could chalk. I don't know if it was field position or if he just thought a defender was too close. I don't know exactly what happened, but. Yeah, he's money. Yeah, Ellingson has been money over the past couple of years since he since yeah. he came from the Arena League into the into the CFL. He's been money. So, so I don't. A lot of people like to point out at that one play if that drive continued on and they got some points on the board. Plus, you had the missed field goal by Lewis Ward. Uh, I, I don't know if they just were down on themselves early and then how do you go into halftime giving up that that field or that uh, punt return touchdown? Man, like that's that's a tough one to go into the locker room with. Yeah, I know. Um, might as go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room, the elephant in the stadium that seemed to be in Edmonton, um, the field conditions. Now, uh, you know, they were talking about earlier on that how it was how it was icy in certain spots and stuff like that, and it, it seemed that the weather was perfect. I mean, it was over, it was above five, uh, above a zero at, at kickoff. I think it was one degree at kickoff. But then it, it got colder from there. But during the week, you know, it, it just seemed that, the weather, it seemed perfect, but I just don't get it, guys. They having ice spots on a field that is, you know, it is made for soccer. And I know this was pointed out. There's a, there is a difference between Ottawa's field, uh, T- Toronto's field, and Edmonton's field, as an example. You know, how the different type of field turf that is that is used in Edmonton versus the other, uh, the other uh, turf stadiums. Um, but uh, you'd think that you would learn from whether it be college football in the U.S. or, 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 or other teams in the NFL that if it is cold, even come on, Green Bay, you put you, you put it uh, you put a tar- you put a tarp on there because there's as everybody knows there's no heating coils underneath underneath the stadium underneath the field in Edmonton. You put something there, a tarp, and and put heaters to keep it as pristine as possible. You know, they're 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 talking rumors of of. After the Edmonton was out, that they really did nothing to the field in order to keep it up to snuff. Um, you know, it would. You know, it's funny, Cliff. The last time that they played a, a messy game in Edmonton, I think it was it was the it was was it the Al's Edmonton game, Grey Cup. Uh, well, I don't know if I'd call it messy, but uh, but but field yeah. condition wise, it seemed the field conditions with real grass then seemed better, obviously than this time around. And they you know they went from regular cleats to to turf cleats. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's unacceptable, guys, in my opinion that. They needed to do more than what they did. Uh, again, both teams had to play on it, but a lot of people on both sides complained about it. Greg, what what was your thought from what you saw being in the stands? Uh, uh, for a while, I actually thought that it seemed like it was more frozen over on the on Ottawa sideline. Um, and and it, there was one play in particular where Brad Sinopoli caught a pass about eight yards downfield. And he was uh, running towards the sideline. He stopped moving his feet, but he slid an extra five yards before he, he couldn't even get any extra yards on that play just because he couldn't get his footing. Uh, I, and maybe the biggest one who was affected by it was Deontay Spencer, too, because 
he 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 has that quick ability to to shift uh, running lanes, and he wasn't able to do that because of his footing as well. But uh, I definitely do. I, I think it was a little bit uh, of a bush league thing. Um, that someone wasn't maintaining that field after Edmonton had finished up their season, whether the rumors are true in that sense. But still, it was a, a beautiful day in Edmonton. Uh, the sun was out, clear skies. It was a little cold, but still, leading up to it, uh, yeah, tarp that thing, keep it whole, keep it hot, and, and just get rid of any doubt in anyone's mind uh, because it's players play in cold weather all over the place, like uh, in. I heard someone said that there was a soccer game in Moscow. Uh, you know, like they, like it, it's. I don't know whose fault is it. Whose fault it is? If it's the groundskeeper or if it's like a CFL issue. I don't know exactly what the deal is, but it was. I, it's just nice to not have any of those things come up. So that if a team wins or loses, you can't blame it on field conditions or outside. Uh, um, distractions, this and that. Like I said, it's nice to have a championship game where the teams can go and do their thing. Cliff? Well, I would actually blame the Canadian Football League for this. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, this is their showcase game. This is their chance to show the world just what a great game the Canadian Football League is. And for them, if they were to pass the buck off and blame the Edmonton grounds crew because maybe they weren't, they weren't maintaining the field once the Eskimo season is over. That to me is a, a poor excuse. As far as I'm concerned, as a league, you've got to take it upon yourself to make sure that you're presenting the best product possible. And by not keeping tabs on the field and keeping tabs of the weather conditions and you know, speaking communi- constant communication with the, the people of Edmonton as to how the field is and how everything looks, other than making sure that the sponsors are painted properly on the uh, on the field or what have you, like that's something the league has to own. That's something that they have to take ownership of as far as how they present themselves to the rest of the world. Because that's this this is their showcase, as I said. So if you're not presenting the best possible product, then yeah, it's going to look bush league. It's going to look lesser than. It's not going to look as slick and professional as what the NFL does or anything like that. Yeah. So to me, as far as I'm concerned. That's something the league has to be taken care of. You're absolutely right. Whether it's put a tarp down, put heaters on the field, whatever it is you have to do. I mean, from what I was told, yeah, it wasn't as cold as Edmonton as it can be or normally is. Uh, I remember going to the Grey Cup in 2010, and it was pretty damn cold throughout the entire weekend. Uh, it was minus 10 at kickoff, If just to give you a, a perspective. And they played fine. Everything seemed to be okay there. I mean, obviously it was cold, but... I mean, the players were able to play okay back in 2010. So you'd think eight years later, things would be even better. So to hear that there was icy patches and things were not properly maintained is definitely a major concern. And that's something that the league has to look at because let's not forget the NFL was supposed to play a game in Mexico this earlier this year. Yep. And they they killed it because the field was not safe at, by any stretch. And this was, again, you're talking about a soccer pitch being converted to football for a one-time use. And they just looked at the field at, at its current state and said, no, 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 no. We're not risking our players. We're not risking... We're, we're basically pulling the plug. No matter how much money was already invested in this game, they've pulled the plug just strictly for player safety. And the CFL has to do likewise. They have to make sure that they're presenting the best possible product and making sure that the players can perform at the best possible level on the biggest stage of all, essentially. And this this looks like a, a major misstep. And again, for people that like to call the CFL Bush League or amateur, it's kind of hard to argue against that when 
your championship game that you've known about for well over a year is going to be taking place. And the fact that you've made little, to, it sounds like they've made little to no efforts to make sure everything's okay. Make sure test things out on the field. Uh, I, I, again, to me, that, that to me is a, uh, it's a major red flag, if you will, as far as uh, like, I'm, I'm hoping to use this as a learning experience for future great cups. Cause otherwise then we'll, at what point do you say, well, then we'll just play in dome stadiums where we know we can control the temperature. Yeah. They'll, that they'll, really, they'll that, looking, that, the, I'm sure they'll be looking at that in uh, Calgary's watching, and I'm sure they're already putting something into place for next year. Yeah, yeah and where wherever the game's going to be in 2020, that like those three, the three cities that are in contention right now, which is I believe uh, Saskatchewan, Hamilton, and Montreal. They're going to have to take a look at that as well and make sure that their field, wherever they play this game, is going to be ready. If they, again, if you're playing in a dome stadium, yeah, it's a lot easier to control the weather. You're not likely to get as much snow and ice in a dome stadium than you would in an open air stadium. Right. But these are things that you have to prepare for and you have to be ready for. Even if your team is not in the Grey Cup game, as a host city, you have to have a little bit of ownership. But at the same time, the CFL itself has to be working with that host city, making right. sure that the temp, well, regardless of what the temperature is, that that field is ready to go and it's ready to host the biggest game of the season. Yeah. Now, as we all know, Ottawa last year set the bar really high when it came to the to the the uh, the uh, Grey Cup festival, and I've heard nothing but glowing reviews about what Edmonton and their group did for the festival. And Greg, how how much of the of the festival were you able to uh, uh, to take take a part of? Uh, not as much as I was hoping to, to be honest. Like there's just so much stuff going on yet that sometimes you just had to pick one over the other. Um, when it came to things you wanted to do, um, uh, obviously we got, we got in there Thursday and so, um, we really only had time to check out the free festival that was going on, on, on Jasper Avenue. Uh, now there was tons of things, um, that were going on down there. Uh, you had like a mock ski hill, uh, a mock hill for tubing, uh, Boston pizza outdoor, uh, not so much outdoors in a tent, but you could go in and get a beer, watch some TV. Zip, zip lining. There was zip lining. There was um, bungee, uh, bungee. bungee jumping. Twisted T had a whole tent set up. Uh, there was a gaming, uh, like a, almost like a tournament, I guess. Um, EA Sports or something. I don't know. I never really took, took uh, part of that. But there was just tons of events going on that the festival did. Plus, you had the events that the podcasters were doing. Uh, I wish I was able to make it to the uh, CFL Fans Fight Cancer event. I didn't uh, make it to the 2 and 0 podcast live. Uh, Spirit of Edmonton, I had no idea. It was so expensive to have breakfast in Edmonton, but <laughs> um, I, I guess that's a thing that they do every year. Uh, I'm not too sure yet, but... Uh, it, it is. It's actually yeah, it's one of their premier events, and especially with it being in Edmonton, I knew that they would have to ramp things up. And you're absolutely right. It's uh, a little hard. To, uh, I personally find it's a little hard to justify a hundred plus dollars for breakfast. But supposedly, it's not about the breakfast. It's really about the event itself. So, like, I I, I see what you were saying with that. But uh, I just had to throw that in there. That yeah, the Spirit of Edmonton breakfast is one of the premier events during Grey Cup week. And uh, yeah, I, I think for a lot of people, it's one of those things that simply has to be done. In fact, there's a lot of CFL fans that I've spoken with that say that it's not Grey Cup unless you go to the Spirit of Edmonton breakfast. <laughs> yeah. but, but, the, uh, but, but the plus thing too is though, Greg, is that uh, something has been going on for quite a while that is, I'm sure, near and dear to your heart. 
and especially now is the uh, is the Atlantic Schooners party. Oh yeah, we uh, we went there um, Friday and Saturday night. Uh, Friday we were there as soon as they opened. Had to get a spot for the uh, the big announcement. Uh, actually, it was on uh, me and my dad were on CTV. Edmonton after the announcement for the name just to get our reactions um, the music was great the 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 nice thing about I found uh, when I was going around I, I went to a few different team parties but um, the nice thing about the schooners one I found was that it was in such a big room there was so much um, uh, so many tables uh, spread out quite nicely for uh, three different areas you get your drinks or four different areas you get your drinks and so it's just a nice big room, and you could actually move around without, um, you know, rubbing rubbing butts with someone. Um, but everything like so, we ended up going to the BC Lions Den. Uh, we went to uh, the R Nation party, and as well as Stamps House. And I mean, Stamps House was was pretty nice. It was in uh, a Fairmont Hotel, Fairmont Hotel Mont. I'm sorry. And uh, R Nation was in a bar that was just across the street. That one was really tiny. Uh, but I did hear that they their venue canceled uh, three weeks before the Great Cup, so Ouch. they were scrambling. Um, so obviously, obviously, I don't blame them. But it was awesome that they were able to get a spot. And uh, yeah, so anyways, we left. Uh, we had the announcement. Absolutely excited, uh, ecstatic about that uh, announcement of the name. Um, of course, in my mind, I didn't think it could be anything else. But there was a little, um, maybe two to three or four percent that thought maybe they would uh, go in a different direction, but I'm very happy that they didn't um, just for the mere fact that over the years, this, the schooners has been what's been um, represented at these great cup festivals and the, and the family, the CFL family has come to love the schooner parties, um, the Downey's kitchen parties, you know, like that's, it would be a travesty to almost everyone in the, in the Canadian football league. Um, to have invested so much into this team um, and, and not be and, and it be anything other than the Atlantic Schooners, um, but yeah. So Friday, Saturday night, we stayed the entire time at the Schooner party. We got on the dance floor, great music, great bands, and uh, it was bumping both nights. Um, we were at capacity on uh, Saturday night at like eight o'clock. <laughs> so wow, uh, if you <laughs> If you left, um, you probably weren't getting back in. And uh, oh, we were also at Spirit of Edmonton on Thursday night as well. I also, um, I also heard that uh, you uh, you happened to be able to pick up a uh, a couple of trading cards of uh, <laughs> uh, of a uh, a current member of the Alouettes flight deck uh, team. Yeah, it was actually pretty funny. I, I got the cards from uh, I believe it was uh, Travis Curra, and uh, I was talking with Josh Smith right now. Next to me, I said, I hope I get a Cliffy D card. Open the pack up, top card, it's Cliffy D. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> it, was, oh, it was perfect. Hold on a second. <laughs> oh, hold on. Boom. <laughs> oh, man. What a hater. I mean, no, <laughs> no offense to you, Tim. It was just funny because no, I, I thought I, I was under the impression that Cliffy was coming to the Grey Cup. So he, when he tw- uh, tweeted out that he was uh, coming to the game, I fully thought that he was coming <laughs> to Edmonton. So he got me. <laughs> yeah, and again, I, 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 Cliff, I apologize for that. Cliff, I think if you're going to sign his sign his card next time you say Greg, uh, you're just going to write "psych love Cliff." <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, uh, what's your what's your thought on the uh, on the name of the of the team to the Schooners? Because uh, I think a lot of people people were thinking that you know oh we're having a name the team contest uh, only if I uh, you know if they I put forth some some money. Uh, to, for season tickets, uh, season ticket deposit, but uh, you know, and only a two week time to do it. But you said it, you felt it was, you, you hoped it was going to be. But I mean, it's uh, overall finally having a a team name uh, and uh, what is necessarily a word mark for the team right now. But uh, how does that make you feel as a as a Haligonian about this uh, the possibility of this team actually showing up as soon as I think twenty twenty one. I couldn't. I, I'm. I'm beyond excited. Uh, I. I feel like. Um, I think the excitement would be a lot more in Halifax if they understood what was going on at that Great Cup festival. Uh, because obviously, there's talk of if we get the team within a couple of seasons, we're hosting a Great Cup. Uh, I wish I could have just bottled everything from the Great Cup and bring it here so that they all know. Uh, what exactly uh, this CFL family is about. And they're essentially a CFL family is about to get a little bit bigger. Um, and uh, it might just, it might seem like it was, it's a small thing, just having a name for a, a quote unquote potential franchise. But it's nice to know that this, we can actually finally put a name behind what we're fighting for essentially. Um, because you can't just be like, Oh, this stadium, this, um, pick your pick your term and, and say this is what it is but it's now the atlantic schooners that are spearheading this project yeah uh, and and now i don't know i can't i couldn't find anything since i heard about it but i heard that maritime football limited has actually changed their name to the schooners oh shoot schooners something schooners um, atl well it's, you're, it's, you're, you're talking about the twitter handle right no it's actually um Oh man! So once, like, the, once the team name came about, they actually rebranded or re, 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 yeah, re relaunched. Exactly, it's it's a, actually relaunched as a different name, Schooners and uh, Entertainment something. Okay, um, almost kind of like MLSE. Um, but I don't know. It's just it's just such an exciting time to be here um, for this to be a, a, a like a possibility. Even um, yeah, like it's there's times like right now where I'm just kind of running out of words to describe it but it's it's nice to that we could potentially be this 10th franchise and bring this beautiful league the canadian football league to finally be in a coast-to-coast league yeah uh, and, and yeah i think that's something to be appreciative for you know like I, I just don't think that a lot of people in halifax yet understand what uh what the cfl is what and uh i'm, do, I'm excited for no, so. so, so compared to compared, it was at eighty two or eighty three when the Schooners were given a Halifax was given that provi- pro- provisional team way back when. Are they closer now, in your opinion, than they were back then? I, I would say, like obviously, I, I was not even born yet um, when that was going on last yeah. time, so I don't know all the details. But it sounds like the the Maritime Football Limited guys have been doing all of their due diligence when it can when it comes to this proposal. Um, they have taken their time, as you know. They, I think they connected probably about six months before the Grey Cup last year. So they've been putting in a year and a half of work just to um, move this ball downfield. Like we're like a Tyrell Sutton, you know, like we're we're moving the ball downfield, or Willie Willie Stanbeck, you know, like they're they're the running backs in this situation. They're carrying the rock and they're getting us into into that uh, red zone. 
Um, so everything that they're doing is, is with a purpose and they're doing everything in their power, um, to, uh, to create this, uh, atmosphere, uh, in Halifax and, and in all the Maritimes, you know, this, they know and understand this needs to be a regional play. And, uh, yeah, I think these are the guys that'll, that'll make it happen. And, and I don't know anything about what happened in the eighties, but from my understanding, it's been, uh, get it to happen as soon as possible. Whereas these guys are, are, if, if it needs to wait another season, they'll wait another season. You know, they, they understand that. <laughs> I, I, for one, can't wait. I know I would, I would love to go to a game the first season. I'm sure it would be an Alouette's game going the first season of Halifax. And I think everybody in Canada would want to be at that first great cup in Halifax. I mean, Oh my God. That <laughs> yeah, that, that that is going to be a party, big oh, time, man. And everyone, you could, you would be surprised uh, how many people would had had come up to us uh, and said, "We cannot wait to come to Halifax for the first game." And that's not just that's not just a great cup. There, you got fans coming from BC, Edmonton, and Calgary, and Saskatchewan coming to Halifax for the very first Canadian Football League game. So. Uh, we've heard that countless times at the Great Cup, and it was it was nice to hear. So there was a big, uh, like, again, as soon as people found out that you were from Halifax, like, did you find immediately there was this a major positive response, like a major, I guess, shift, if you will, in the, the thought that, oh, my God, this is actually happening? Uh, I mean, you still have some people. Uh, obviously, the biggest thing to get around is the stadium, but, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly confident that we are going to work out the stadium, so... I'm sorry. I completely spaced on what you asked. Me. <laughs> <laughs> just okay. It was just with with people that you spoke with at Great Cup, like the fans yep. uh, at the festivals and everything like that. Did you get that sense that uh, oh my god, this is really becoming a thing? Like this is really like the 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 groundswell of support was really there, not just like from people in Halifax, but like just league wide. Absolutely. I, I think it almost seems like there's uh, obviously there's a lot more population um, in the CFL than in Halifax, but it seems like a lot of people, almost everyone in the CFL is excited for this to happen. Um, and, and there's so much about this that I just, I, like, that's just one, another thing I wish I could just bottle and bring back to Halifax and just let everyone know this, the Canadian Football League fans, they all want this to happen. You know, like, everyone is just so supportive of this and they're so excited. And it's, it's, Everything has just been amazing about that Great Cup experience because of all the people that we met and everyone that's just been so supportive uh, of everything. That's cool. That's cool. And uh, I, I hope to, as I said, I hope to return to a Great Cup. And, and I think what what better way to segue from what we're talking about? Uh, ex- if the if people don't know and haven't heard your podcast before the Atlantic Zone coverage, uh, Greg, explain to them. Uh, about your podcast and and where they can find your podcast and listen to you. Uh, so, my podcast essentially was it's just to uh, focus on the expansion news um, and and to just spread the CFL in Halifax or Atlantic Canada. Uh, it, I, I, we're uh, trust me, we're we're totally okay if you listen to this podcast wherever in the world you are. But um, the goal of this from the beginning was to grow. The, the support uh, and the excitement and the love for the Canadian Football League because uh, I, w- over the years, having not been exposed to it, uh, like with a lack of advertising, uh, I was a fan when I was younger and I kind of got away from it. And it's just, I just want people to remember 
uh, you know, what exactly this league is and all of the um, excitement and the great Canadian players that we have and, and hopefully, uh, you know, just surround this uh, growth into Canada and Atlanta, Canada for the Canadian Football League. And that's what it's all been about from the beginning. And uh, so, yeah, we're on Twitter uh, at Atlantic Zone. Uh, we're also on Instagram, Atlantic Zone Coverage. Our Facebook page has been pretty bad, but we're on there too. Uh, it's just too many social medias for, uh, for us to handle right now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're on Facebook. You look at Atlantic Zone Coverage on there. And then uh, my personal Twitter account is uh, Gregory is Fresh. Um, so fresh. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, we're, we're very active on social media and, uh, yeah, we're just working on improving the, uh, the podcast and, and growing it, um, for next season. So, uh, yeah, thanks uh, for asking. Yeah. Now, where, where can they, where can they find and listen to the, to the podcast? I know you can do it on Google, on Google Play Music, but what, what other locations can they listen to it at? Yeah, so as far as I know, we're on all your uh, podcasts, uh, wherever you can get your podcasts. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, uh, Podbean, SoundCloud, and I think that's all I can think of off the top of my head. Okay, that's quite a few. Yeah, so if, yeah, if, you, if you haven't already, go ahead and uh, find them and find his podcast and, and listen to how, how the news and how his shows went from show one leading up to uh, leading up to the announcement, I'm sure. And you're going to be having a, a show coming up soon recently about your experiences and about the, the announcement. Is is that right, Greg? Yeah, exactly. I have uh, an interview with John Ryerson from uh, the Great Cup. He's uh, the man behind the Atlantic schooner parties over the last 12 years. So uh, I'm going to have that. Plus, uh, I'm going to be discussing my experiences at the at the Great Cup, just like in uh, in this Fantastic. Now, speaking of social media, do not forget that we here at the Alice Fight Tech, we are on social media, multiple places you can find us. Uh, you can find us over at Twitter. That's at Alouette's FL Tech. Our Facebook page, uh, just search for Alouette's Flight Deck. And then with our podcast, uh, many places you can find it also. Uh, but the Probably the best place is to head over to www.alouette'sflightdeck.ca. If not, you can go to Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Well, Greg, uh, dude, thanks for coming coming on. I mean, it's uh, I know you're an hour ahead of us. So, and w- when we're finishing this taping, it's it's already tomorrow. So no. we, we 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 really we greatly appreciate your time and, and your insight and uh, uh, to hear you know how excited uh, somebody from the from Atlantic Canada is uh, not only about his Great Cup experience about uh, but what is going to be hopefully coming very very soon for uh, uh, for everybody over in the Atlantic provinces. Um, but uh, again. Uh, Thanks for, for joining us. And Cliff, um, we just want to remind everybody also before we go that there is the locker room sale this year. It is uh, an annual tradition for the Alouettes. They are bringing it back to the Big O. Uh, mm-hmm. It is on December the 2nd. Uh, it opens officially for non-season ticket hold member, so holders at 12, goes to 4. If you are a season ticket member, you can get in at 11. Just make sure that you bring your season ticket card with you. Uh, they will have wow. What what aren't they going to have? Merch up to seventy percent off. I think they. I, I heard. Uh, I saw them say they're going to. You can get jerseys, uh, game worn jerseys, and and many different items from the Alouettes from the past uh, season and seasons. And uh, uh, I guess this is the next biggest thing, uh, except for the the relaunch of the team in uh, on Super Bowl uh, Super Bowl weekend. Yep. Uh- 
again, this is a great opportunity to get all sorts of great swag for low, low prices. Uh, Chaz also too to meet players as well. I don't know who all is going to be there. As uh, we talked about earlier, it's uh, it, you just never know who's going to show up as far as uh, Alouette's players go for these locker room sales. But uh, definitely a, a good chance to get to meet some of your players that want to be a part of this community. I'm so, so hoping Peter Della Riva shows up, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's going to be epic because, yes, we will be wearing our... Uh, our, our Tarps Apparel Peter Dallariva t-shirts uh, just to, to show the love, spread awareness about them. But, I mean, if if Mr. Dallariva is there, I think that would be an epic photo opportunity. Oh, yeah, for sure. A little bit longer show, longer than we totally expected this week. But you know what? For, for you guys to talk about the Owls, the CFL, and, and the Grey Cup, uh, what better way to to uh, to finish the, the, the 2018 regular season? Uh, stay tuned to our social media accounts for when we will return because we have some ideas on what we want to do uh, during the off season. So, uh, so, uh, so everybody for everybody here at the Alouettes Flight Deck for Cliffy D, Greg James, I'm Tim Capper. We're on final approach. Take off! Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.